Welcome to the Latin Dances Diary Podcast, where we explore the world of Latin music and dance through dances' experiences and journey. Since the host is based in London, UK, you will find most of my references are pretty much localized. This podcast is about authentic, unfiltered conversations on Latin dancing. The podcast is not funded by any music or dancing institutions. Just the host and the guest sharing their journeys, opinions, and tips to help you to become a better dancer. My advice comes straight from the heart. Do you know that the salsa music came before the dance? Do you know that the salsa dance was invented by musicians? It was created to promote the music and make it popular. Dance is invented to interpret the music into body movement. Dance is similar to any language. Even if you are native speaker, you still need to work on refining it, improving your expressions, and correcting your grammar. Even for Latinos, they can take salsa dancing for granted. Big question mark, what is musicality? In salsa music, there are many elements in a salsa song. Vocal, clave, piano, percussion, bass, and many other instruments. When you listen to a song, everybody is moving by something different and personal. So people dance to rhythms while others dance to beats. As dancers, we showcase the music on the dance floor. Our body becomes an instrument itself. We can choose simple elements to dance to, or we can pick up as many sounds as we wish and use our movement to express them. That's what we call musicality. In today's episode, I'm interviewing a salsa musicality master. He will explain musicality. If you are interested, he is running a deep dive into social dancing musicality workshop in London this Sunday. It's never too late to book your ticket and join him on the dance floor. So, grab your dancing shoes, turn the music, and let's get started. Let's dance it out! Welcome to the lively podcast, The Latin Dancer's Diary. I'm delighted to interview one of the true salsa masters, someone who began dancing and playing music almost before he could walk. He initiated his teaching journey at the age of 12. Can you imagine this? By the time he turned 17, he made a significant move from Guatemala to Japan with the aim of opening his own dancing school. 17, wow. Since then, he stood as the ambassador of salsa in Japan. It didn't stop here. After eight years, he decided to relocate one more time to Norway to introduce the mambo salsa to the Norwegian community. With no doubt, he is a man that probably never stopped dancing a day in his life. So without any further ado, please help me to welcome my guest, Alexi Ruiz. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm, I'm very delighted to have you here. Thank you for uh, being with me today. Thank you for the invitation. Really, really excited. Really happy to, to be part of your, of your podcast. So thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you, Alexis. So why we don't do, start by a little introduction? So why you don't introduce yourself to our audience? Right. So, yes, my name is Alexis Ruiz or Alexis Fernando Giron Ruiz, which is my 
my full uh, name. Nice. Um, I was born in Guatemala, as, as you, you know already, in a small city called Antigua, very traditional, very colonial, very colorful, very tiny, but very cute yeah. um, town. Uh, I come from a family of artists. Uh, my grandpa, he was a painter, a singer, musician, sculptor. And from there, well, comes the legacy of from my father's father's grandpa. Um, he was also a theater director. My grandma was uh, an actress. So I had been involved in the family with, you know, seeing different activities. One of my aunts, which was my first music teacher, she used to run a, a culture academy about singing, playing music, uh, paintings. So I learned all these little things as a hobby, as a game, as a child. And I grew up watching my my parents dance. My 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 teacher is my mom, and so that's how I started basically yeah. uh, dancing, just just as a hobby. Um, so I grew up watching them perform, and <laughs> <laughs> I just got involved. The whole family got involved in in the business uh, eventually. So uh, as you as you know, I've been teaching since uh, I'm 12 and uh, my mom used to run classes uh, she was the founder the first founder of of salsa classes in my city and uh, nowadays is quite well known as a salsa capital in my country and yeah. <laughs> uh, many of the teachers are there are there basically comes from her school many of them and not so long ago I was there and I was very impressed to see the level has been growing up a lot, so it's nice to see the legacy uh, still going on. So yes, uh, basically uh, working in my country, got the opportunity to travel, went to Japan, uh, life-changing experience, a completely different world, new language, new everything. But yeah. you know, I just loved the culture since a little kid. I used to practice martial arts. I love the food, so I think it was a nice. Uh, a nice start to 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 have the opportunity to 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 visit and to work there was was like a dream come true. I met a lot of Japanese people in my city because it's full of tourism, and it's very popular for learning Spanish. It's a lot of there are a lot of Spanish schools uh, because in Guatemala, like in many other countries in Latin America, our Spanish is quite pure. It doesn't have so much accent. So it's okay. one of the places where it's quite target to learn uh, Spanish. And therefore, there's a lot of tourism. I, ma I managed to meet the world before I went to the world because I met a lot of people from all over the world uh, yeah. at my mother's school. So it was a very nice experience to explore before traveling and deciding to, to leap overseas. <laughs> actually, actually, listening to you talking about this it all makes sense because the first thing that popped on my mind when i start to learn more about yourself how come you started at the very young age it's not easy and then why and how did you manage to jump between all these different cities would you say that if background if your background and the family history is different you could have been uh, in a completely different place and you wouldn't have oh, yes. dancing I think so. I mean, 
I think in one way or another, I will have found the way to dance or to play music because since yeah. little kid, I always had that in myself. Uh, but I don't think I will be where I am and experience what I experienced because of the place where I was. I was quite, I would say, privileged to be in a place where I had so much different, uh, different influences yeah. and a lot of opportunities. Uh, but um, yeah, I think in one way or another, I will eventually end, end up doing something <laughs> to do with music and dance. For, and, then, for sure. and then again, like uh, moving away from your country and go to completely new culture and different culture, I guess. I don't know for sure. You will tell me. Guatemala is completely different Japan uh, than Japan, right? The cu culturally, they are different. So taking the step on the age of 17 and going all the way to Japan to start your own school, tell me more about this. It must be a terrifying experience. <laughs> it was very, how can I say? I met a lot of Japanese people uh, in, in my, my city because there was also a Spanish school dedicated only for Japanese people. Oh, okay. Uh, the school was run by a, by a couple. She, she's a teacher and a director of the school. She's from Guatemala, married to a Japanese man, uh, Petra and Makoto. <laughs> so they, they <laughs> had a school called Atabal. And every Sunday, in order to promote our school, uh, every Sunday we used to go to different uh, Spanish schools because there's a lot of tourism there, yeah. and just put a boom blaster and do some, some classes there, like for free. It's always was served Japanese dinner, and I was always invited to eat. So since I love Japanese food, since kid, I was like so super uh, in love with Japanese food and was also full of different books and, and you know, like um, anime or I mean, manga, manga books. And I was like super yeah. Yeah. Know, reading and yeah. yeah, and also talking to Japanese people, you know, just asking questions and, you know, uh, I got to make a lot of good friends and I kind of felt the vibe, like connecting. I, I really managed to connect with, with them. I really like the culture. I got the opportunity to travel and my mom gave me the blessing, like, okay, you know, go experience, go in and, and fly away, you know, just experience life. And where it was, where it was supposed to be a year ended up with eight years. <laughs> so I was working with the culture in Japan and there was many, some culture centers where I start teaching and at the same time learning how to how to speak Japanese. Uh, I was watching TV and I never really took proper classes. It was mostly by teaching the, the way I learned to, to speak. And of course, I mean, you don't expect people to speak Spanish or English to you. No, uh, no. no. The only way to do it is just yeah. by doing it. And that's how I got into it. And was, was basically pushing myself, teaching, and you know the necessity of needing to communicate imagine you are at the train station and you see all this you know kanji and hiragana you're like oh my goodness you know <laughs> you need yes. to you need to learn you know i start to book uh, buy books like for children learning how to write how to read you know i had a lot of help as well from friends and some of my students and they helped me out in order to get along but um, yes, one of the things that I learned as a youngster is the importance of time. Yes, yes. You know, as a Latino, a being a teenager, important. 17 years old, mañana, mañana, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we always have this kind of, okay, if you're 10 minutes late, that's normal. 
yeah. that's not okay over there. So you had to kind of, you know, I, I in one way I, I can say that I ended up growing up there. I end up growing yeah. up, learning yeah. about life, learning about responsibilities, learning about so many things, so many qualities in Japan. Yeah. And it was like shaping me in, in such a way. So I will be always eternally grateful, thankful for the opportunity, you know. But I was so homesick. You have no idea. Of course. You know? Of course. That's why I said it's a completely different culture, I guess. Did they experience it? But from outsiders, I think it's different. It's like, you know, one thing is like Latin families are quite close. You know, we are very, very close. We are very traditional in celebrating things like Christmas or things like that. While in Japan, Christmas is not a um, family thing. Christmas is, is an event, right? Because, oh, okay, you know, it's a country which is what? Sintoist, Taoist, Buddhist. It's not so much about the Christianity. It's, it's not the same values, not the same traditions. So... In Christmas, I remember one Christmas I spent eating McDonald's, you know. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a family thing. It's more for it's couples, not. I would say, you know. It's an event yeah. for couples. Yeah. And, so, and and was it very different teaching Latin people how to dance versus Japanese people how to dance? Oh, yes. And I think that the greatest school I had to teach and to test was in Guatemala, was at, in, in Antigua. Yeah. Because, I mean, the first... Uh, the first students I ever had were Americans and the American vibe is so different. They are very like forthcoming and they are really like loud and really like, okay, you know, uh, they, they require different type of like didactics and pedagogics, you know? Okay. And when it comes to Japanese people, I think the easiest students I ever had, I think they're from Japan. The dedication, dedication, the commitment, the respect they have for the teacher. I mean, wow. I yeah. never experienced the same. I mean, teaching to Latinos is always noisy. It's a lot of fun, yeah. but it's really hard to get them focused. And another thing, you know, as a Latino, I think I'm allowed to say, Latinos, when it comes to dancing, they can be a little bit arrogant because they think they know how to dance. Yeah. And yeah. It's not true. They got the rhythm. They got the flow, but that doesn't mean you can dance. It's like talking. Just because you know how to talk doesn't mean you are literate. You, you have good grammar. You have good way of making sentences. Yeah. You know, you need yeah. grammar. And that's the thing with Latinos, right? They 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 finally start to understand that, yes, you need technique. Not just because you think you're born with it and you have the talent, you are good. No, no, no. You need a combination of both. And that's one of the things that I learned a lot in Japan because there is a completely different culture for them. It's they didn't grow up with the rhythm from, from start. And, but I, I understood that, in fact, it's completely irrelevant if you are Latino or not. Yeah. Once you feel love for, what, for the dancing, you, you like the music, that's all you need. Yeah. I have met so many Latinos who has no rhythm, no coordination, and don't like to dance. And I found so much passion in Japan for people wanting to, 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 to learn and loving the music, you know. Yeah. I, I found out about bands in Japan, like uh, there's one orchestra, it's called Orchestra de la Luz. All the members are Japanese and they play better than many Latin bands with a lot of flavor. I wow. was so impressed, you know, it's like the dedication, like 
I never really had to raise my voice in class. No. And the moment I come to the classroom, you see everybody like picking out their own spots. Everybody has their own spot. Okay. You know? And they're already there, even rehearsing. And I go to the class maybe 15 minutes before, they're already there. And I start teaching my yep. class, you know, not raising my voice, I pay attention. I moved to Europe, man. I start talking <laughs> like, okay, everybody, uh, can we do uh, one turn? Everybody just chit-chatting and being loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to scream and put my foot down. I never experienced that before. <laughs> and, and, and and this is take me to the second question. Like, it's what you're describing about the Japanese and your experience with Japan, it seems like paradise for teachers. Oh, yes. What, oh, yes. what made you actually move to Norway? Because I think your next stop or the third stop in your career was Norway. So what would you what made you move to Norway? All right. The the, the decision, well, it's, it's two two reasons. Uh, one of the first after living in Japan, everything in a way felt a little bit far away. I mean, the closest oh. you can get to US is like Hawaii. And that's eight hours by flight. Oh. Yeah, eight hours from Japan. So it's like, okay, and going to Europe, I mean, it's, it takes very long. You know, I, I travel, I went to Hong Kong, I went to different areas in in, 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 uh, in Asia, and I, and I felt, okay, I know it. And I know Asia, it's nice, I like it, but I was still craving for more. I wanted to experience more. Yeah. And Europe was always kind of, you know, in the corner of my head, like, you know, ringing the little bell, like, hey, would be nice to experience a little more. But also, I have family in Norway. At the time, it was my sister living in, in Norway, and my sister was my dance partner since we were little kids. And my dream was always to dance with her. Nice. When I knew that she was in Norway, I said, okay, because I couldn't have the opportunity to bring her to Japan. It was too much complications. So it was easier for me to maybe, you know, meet with her. And also have a brother who actually lives also in Norway, which I haven't seen for many, many years. And I got the opportunity in because I was going every year to, to Los Angeles since 2003. It was in 2006 where the organizer of the event, uh, <laughs> he knew him, he knew me, but he didn't know we were brothers. Because oh, his name, okay. he changed his name as an artist. His name is Walter, Walter Francisco. And he nicknamed himself as Jassy. So when Albert Torres um, was, you know, talking to me, asking me about my life, I say I have a family and I have a brother who lives in Europe. And he asked me, what's his name? Said, his name is Walter. I didn't know his name as an artist, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I met a, a guy in, in, from Norway, uh, but his name is Jassy. And I was like, okay, who, who the hell is Jassy? I don't know. It might be another guy. But then... Albert Torres, the organizer of the event, was in Hamburg and met my brother there. And, uh, <laughs> and they were just talking and saying, hey, by the way, I met the, this guy who dances salsa in Japan from, from your country. I said, what? What's his name? His name is Alexis. Oh, that's my brother. And then Albert Torres said, that, that means you are Walter? And he said, how the hell do you know my name? <laughs> <laughs> because he changed as Jazzy, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. plotting to to make to put us together on stage, and he made a surprise for us. Nice. My nice. brother didn't get the visa to USA, yeah. and Albert Torres helped him to get the visa. So I went. I was invited to to LA like every year, and I went to LA, and I didn't know he was invited. Yeah. And Albert Torres requested me to do two shows. 
And the second show, I didn't understand why. I said, okay, great, I will do two shows. And he was saying, yeah, because uh, for the second show, um, I want uh, to pay a homage to a, mus a musician. His name is Pete Scovedo. He's a timbale player. And he's going to be there. I want you to, to perform for him. It's like, a, what a random thing. So why not? And throughout the whole festival, they were hiding him away from me. <laughs> and I did my show eventually that night. And when I finished uh, my show, before I left the stage, Albert said, hey, moment. And he hugged me and took me on, on the middle of the stage and said, he started to talk to the crowd, you know. Yeah, this little guy comes from Guatemala. And he comes from a family who dances. He, but he also has a, a brother who he hasn't seen for many, many years. So tonight we have a little surprise for you. Okay, Jassy, come on stage. I said, Jassy, who the hell is Jassy? And I turn around and I see my brother coming on stage. I go, oh my God, you know. <laughs> and he did, did a show. He dedicated a show for me. That <laughs> night we ended up talking. You know, it's like, okay, you know, we have been separated for many years. Uh, why don't we try to do something together? But of course, I had my life already made up in Japan. He has his uh, life made up in Norway. And who's going to move, right? It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Life. But since I was already from before, you know, contemplating the idea of moving and also knowing that my sister also was in in in, uh, in Norway, I said, okay, this is it. I got to take the chance. So I made the decision to close down the school. And I talked to my students, listen, guys, it has been a pleasure, but now... I think it's my time to move on, right? Yeah. So I left the school to some of my students. They are, in fact, teachers. They were teaching for me. And I moved. All my, I packed all my instruments, my dance shoes. I left, obviously, most of the things. But I took my instruments, my music, my books, dancing shoes, and, and I moved everything. <laughs> that, that's, that's, uh, that, I, I'm, first, it's a fantastic story. And I blame it on the nicknames and the stage names artists. <laughs> uh, and, and, and thank you for giving us uh, more details about the movement from uh, uh, Japan to Norway. Because while you were talking about the experience in Japan, I keep it kept nagging me. Why did you move then? Um, <laughs> so maybe that will take me to the big question for me. When did your stage name came live? Alex's style. Is it Alexis style? Yes. Well, Alexis style was, in fact, the nickname was given originally in two thousand and one, okay. and the reason was uh, because um, there was there was this event in Japan. It's called the Japan Salsa Congress. Okay. The Japan Salsa Congress was organized by Albert Torres himself, the one of the founders of the, of the Congress concept, and the co-host, which is uh, George Watabe. He's still running the, the, the Congress in Japan. And um, I knew that the rules in for the Congress was to perform from couples, but I didn't have a partner. Mm. So, and I used to dance alone. And before I danced salsa, I also danced different styles. I used to dance hip hop. And some of the shows I did, I was mixing things. Yeah. One day, um, Mr. Watabe contacted contacted us, contacted me in the school and, and asked me if I could um, escort Mr. Albert Torres because he wanted to, to visit Osaka. I was living in Osaka at the time and George Watabe, obviously, he was in, in Tokyo. So Albert Torres will, was, was supposed to visit Osaka, and, but no one speaks Spanish or English. So I was the only person nearby that actually could 
could you know host them and I was like okay what a great opportunity so to meet Mr. Albert Torres so um, one of my students in in the area of Kyoto he he is a sommelier he has a very exclusive pub where yeah. you go and just taste wine and you know very very posh and he wanted to do an event at his place yeah. inviting Albert Torres to perform because at the time Albert Torres was also dancing. I mean, Albert Torres had been dancing all his life as well. At the time with his uh, wife at the time, they used to dance together. So the plot was that they wanted Albert Torres to perform. And because my, my student, you know, owns the place, he said, you know, you are my teacher, please, can you dance as well? So it was two shows, it was Albert Torres show and my show. So I got the opportunity to, you know, talk to them. I went, we went to eat some Korean barbecue and we, we chit chat a lot and just explain about you know, my life. He was asking me questions and I was asking me questions. So then we went to perform. So we we're going to go into the venue. We're going to perform. So they did the tech rehearsal and they did the show. And then was my time to do the show. And I did the show and he's looking at me like, a, what are you doing? You know, what, what is that? So, I don't know. I just, I just mix things. I do different things. And the evening happened. We performed the first show. We had two shows. Yeah. The first show was at 10 o'clock at night. And then the second show was supposed to be at 2 o'clock in the, in the morning. Yeah. So after the first set, we went to, to eat. And we just kept talking. Then we saw, okay, we're going to head back for the second set. When we went back, the crowd has changed. People is I said more loud. People is a little more drunk, and I got nervous, man. I was nervous. Yeah, yeah. I was backstage, and then Albert Torres looked at me and said, "Hey, kid, are you okay? I see you nervous. Said, yeah, I'm kind of a little nervous. So don't worry. I saw, I saw you dancing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you do you go go on on stage, do your thing, do your Alexis thing that you do, Alexis style thing you do, Alexis style that you do, do so, the Alexis." Yeah. He said, you don't dance on one, you don't dance on two, because I was mixing the styles. And I was on top of that, put hip hop. I was did my own thing because I was dancing to the music. I was not counting. Yeah. When I do a show, I don't count, really. Yeah. Unless I do a show, a choreography for a group of students, I count. Yeah. When I do my own thing, I just let the music tell me exactly. So I memorize the beats and everything. So he said, do your Alexis thing, your Alexis style that you do. That's that's, I, that's that's fantastic. Then yeah. after that evening, he said, "Hey, so we're gonna see you at the at the congress." I said, "Yeah, I wish I can go to the congress, but I'm not invited." So why not? Because I don't have a partner. So that's weird, you know. Yeah, yeah. because in the rules, I said, "Okay, let's change the rules now." From now on, they will I will accept solos as well in the congress, and the mm -hmm. rule was broken, so I was allowed to perform solo and. When Albert Tor uh, when when I got the invitation, the official invitation for the Congress, uh, it says please give your entry name. And I was thinking, okay, Mambo something, Salsa something, and I was like a lot of ridiculous names. I was thinking, I was thinking, I'm not any of them. I was thinking to myself, what am I doing? What is it, the thing that I do? And I remember what Albert Tor said to me: Do your Alexis thing, your Alexis style that you do. So Alexis style, okay, that's my style, Alexis style. And I put my entry name, and that's how the first time I appeared in Japan as a Congress, Alexis style. And so, then officially, I, I got invited to LA eventually. It was uh, uh, where Albert Torres, in front of everybody, yeah. actually, you know, put the name, okay, welcome on stage, Alexis style. And so it's one night 
you you did two things. In one night, two things happened. Your name was born, and you forced the rules of the Congress to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big night. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was really unexpected. But that's that's the thing. Um, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Arbitoris because he was always um, searching for 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 different things, yeah. not just the same thing. But it's one of the things he, he I, I, I never forget. He used to say, "In my event, I don't care how good you are. Yeah. What I care is how memorable you are." I want to see a show that is memorable. And that, it burned my memory. And till this day, I always, when I choreograph something, I always think, how can I make things memorable? Yeah. It has to have a personality, right? All right. So so you are based on uh, Norway at the moment. Correct. And I came across something called uh, Nordic Mambo Project. Yes. What's that exactly? That's, that's a Norwegian thing, isn't it? Yes, basically, I mean, in, in Norway, Mambo, not Mambo really, but on two existed a little bit before. People dance on two, but that's one of the topics I would like to clarify, but in a, a little later on. Yeah. Um, I've been dancing in, in since I moved to Norway, I've been dancing basically. All my shows are being Mambo oriented. Yeah. Okay. And that's the thing that I I love the most. But at the same time, it's, um, it has been a little bit of struggle to, to build it up because it's, uh, of course, different styles and different uh, aspirations for different people. But uh, that's the beauty of uh, like-minded people. And I was uh, able to build up a team. Yeah. Uh, my team is uh, called Allure, Allure Dance Company. Yeah. And uh, while performing and building up uh, the team, uh, I got to travel in Scandinavia and, and meet all of also uh, like-minded people. There's one couple in uh, in Stockholm that, in my opinion, they are the leading Mambo couple in Scandinavia. Their name is, uh, they are Konstantin uh, and Arkadia. Uh, they have been doing Mambo together for like the past 10 years. And their growth has been exponential, like really, really building up uh, beautiful things and we just click we just start to cooperate and do some some shows together like in in the same event we were we were invited and we said yeah why don't we do something together like improvisation show and we started like that in 2015 we did a routine and that routine turned out to become a big project because we include people from Norway from my team and people from Stockholm and when we put this together, we're thinking, you know, we 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 should do something bigger in Scandinavia uh, to support the Mambo. So, and I came up with a name. Let's do a concept called the Nordic Mambo Project. It's a project that is based on inviting the best of Scandinavia and like like-minded people. They want to explore and want to cooperate together, and you know, put Scandinavia Mambo in the map. Yeah. And so far, I think we are making some noise around. <laughs> it's getting there. A lot of work to do still. I want more countries to be in, involved. Uh, we're exploring more about Mambo and in, in, in Scandinavia. And I'm really, really proud to see that the level is, you know, getting higher every time. Yeah. So it's a lot of uh, projects in the blueprint we, we are planning. And 
Now we were just recently uh, expanding the, the the team. We just uh, performed the past uh, this this weekend. Now uh, we just did shows in 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 New York under nice. the name of uh, Nordic Mamba Project. So I was joining their team. They joined my team, and we are cooperating together. And it's it's a it's a great uh, synergy we have. So that's what we are building up now. Yes. So you have been to New York last week, but Correct. big, big news for our audience here in UK. Alex is, you come and to visit us this weekend on the 3rd of September. That's true. Yes. Amazing. I can't wait to meet you face to face, to be honest. So for everyone, <laughs> for everyone to know, so Alex is running a, a musicality workshop this weekend, Correct. Sunday, 3rd of September. Is going to be in Husky Studio, which is it's two minutes away from Elephant and Castle in London. So please, guys, if you would like to learn more and you would like to meet Alexis, just be there. Uh, the class going to or the workshop going to start at 2 p.m. So okay. Alexis, when I went through um, the banner, I found that um, the main theme of that uh, class or that workshop is deep dive into dancing musicality that stopped me uh would you explain a little bit more about what is social dancing musicality what's that all right uh, okay between this and personal work basically okay, okay. first i need to talk about uh, musicality as a as a concept because musicality is such a wide wide term yeah and um Many times it's being misused because when people talk about musicality, they are referring to a concept called phrasing. Phrasing. What is phrasing? Phrasing is basically just imitating the sounds that uh, the music is saying. It might be the phrase of the piano. It might be the phrase of the trumpet. And you do kind of choreographic moves, right? Yeah. And this is really, really nice, really amusing, but that's just one little teeny tiny corner of the width of what musicality truly is. Um, one thing about musicality in partner work, what I will actually, in fact, go deep dive into, you know, the workshop is um, understanding how the music works and how um, it, it has this relationship when you dance in, in, in couple without having to know every single song. Because that's one of the beauties of this music. This music is very predictable because how the formula is, how it's built is so systematically, like it's like, it's mathematics. And okay. it's so easy to understand once you understand the, 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 the sections because there are different sections in the music and each section means something and it, it sounds, it has a particular sound. Regardless of the band, the, the music structure has been established since Wow, let's say from the 70s, there is a stencil uh, standard format. Yeah. There is a blend of different styles of, of basically Afro-Cuban music. You have Guaracha, you have Son, you have Son Montuno, you have the Mambo, uh, you have Pachanga, I mean Charanga. You have different, different uh, genres of music. And in the 70s, uh, what happened is that many of these teeny tiny styles and dances got together in one simple single composition. Maybe not so much about the dancing, but the music, it got blended together because it was easy to sell. When you talk about Son or Son Montuno, it's really, for many people, it's hard to find the differences. When you have your ear trained, you understand, oh, that's a Son, oh, that's a Son Montuno. 
but it's sometimes a very, very teeny tiny detail will give you the, the, the idea of what is the difference. But that's why in the 70s was a you know a very clever marketing idea to put all these names together or these styles together and tag it under the name salsa. So basically salsa is not even a style of music. Salsa is not even a dance. Salsa is a concept. It's just a name. Just a name. So and that's the thing on, on, on the musicality is like how to find out the different styles in the music and how to do interpretations with the body. When you're dancing in, in social dance, you, you listen to the song, you know where you are. Okay, this is the verse, oh, this is the chorus. And it's like, you know, you have a GPS basically when you're dancing. You don't right. need to know the song, but you know exactly where you are and you know how to predict accents and breaks and how to use the uh, social dancing without forcing your partner, without having to do a choreography, make things more organic and how to make it really, you know, stand out. And are you are, are you going to cover the the the, the salsa music structure and and yes. how to be able to do that right? Correct. Is it going to be uh, part of the work or is it going to be solo chimes steps or a mix? The main the main goal is partner work, social dance. Social dance yeah. means you need to communicate with your yeah. partner, and and it's about leading, following. Uh, for for the ladies, especially how to make interpretations of the music without disturbing the leading, yeah, and vice versa from the leader point of view, how to manipulate breaks in the music without having to break your partner, <laughs> without forcing, is yeah. most mostly as a, a suggestion. So that's the thing. Over the years, I've been kind of developing a way of dancing that you make interpretation with the music without having to to feel so unnatural. It doesn't have to be forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing will happen with many concepts of musicality. They are very forced because they are too choreographic. And then it's not organic anymore. Then it doesn't work. You cannot apply these concepts with anybody, right? Yeah. Okay, got you. And 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 another thing, quote, quote me on, on the banner, is Salsa Mambo workshop. So Mambo is more onto style, right? Onto right. Uh, <laughs> dance. So if I'm dancing on one, am I allowed to attend? And what's the difference actually between okay. one and on two? Now we are opening a can of worms. I need to yes. clarify <laughs> some of the misconceptions here because, okay. One thing is mambo, another thing is on two or on one. You have to understand that uh, the timing is completely irrelevant to the style. Okay. Because let's say mambo, a like song, they are established dances that happened back in 1940s, 1940s and 50s. Even song, song is, is even older, 1920s. And you have to understand that the way or who invented these dances, they were the, the musicians themselves. Yeah. And I always have uh, this question to people. Ask yourself, why Macarena is so popular? Mm. It's because it's really great song. <laughs> <laughs> because it isn't. It is popular because it has a dance that everybody can relate to. True. Back okay. in the days, in order to promote your music, you need to have a dance. And that's how many of the dances were invented. Because if you have a song or a type of music that you, you can dance to, you can enjoy it two ways. And that's exactly how it happened. Now, 
the way of how this music is built is built on mostly rhythm. You have to understand that the root of this music is Afro-Cuban. When we say Afro-Cuban, like if you compare like jazz music or reggae music or, or even Afro-Cuban music or jazz or like, you know, swing music, they have something in common. It's the polyrhythms. They bounce up and down. And all this polyrhythmic richness comes from Africa. So all of them are easy to relate. It's easy to combine them, right? Okay. So that's the thing with this kind of music. When, let's say, if you're, if you're dance, if as a dancer, you have something that's called choreographic timing. And choreographic timing is when you do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Only dancers count still eight. Musicians count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? They count yeah. bars. So we dancers count from one to eight. So the thing is that when you're dancing, you have things that are called downbeats and upbeats. The downbeats will be one, three, five, seven, while the upbeats will be two, four, six, eight. So when you listen to the music, like the clave, like the conga, like especially the rhythm section, they emphasize a lot on the upbeats, the two, the four, the six, and the eight. If you listen to the downbeats, which is one, three, five, seven, you can relate to rock music, like, um, you know, techno music. It's like downbeat, downbeat all the time. So this polyrhythm happens a lot in this uh, particular type of music, which eventually will also affect the dancing. So in Cuba, they don't, they don't call dancing on two or dancing. No, they say contratiempo or counterbeat, not the downbeat, but the upbeat. So this concept of on one and on two, where does it come from? This started to happen in the early 2000s due to the fact that uh, the, the Salsa Congress happened. The first con Congress happened, I think, in 1997, the official Congress. And there, the sole uh, purpose of the event was to find out the different styles, how, how people dance Salsa around the world. I mean, we're talking about an era without social media. There's no internet. So if you really want to know, you need to go there and see by yourself. And that's what happened because many people dance on their own way. The, pe the Colombian people dance one way. The New York people dance one way. The Cuban people dance another way. So, but one thing that was uh, they had in common was that, uh, for instance, in New York, uh, they used to dance very close to the same timing as the people used to dance in Cuba. That's yeah. contratiempo emphasizing the rhythm section, the two, the four, the six, and the eight, because of the conga and the clave. I mean, everything just makes sense that way. So the culture of dancing contratiempo that came from Cuba to New York, in New York, uh, it really evolved. Also had different other kind of influence, like swing dance and ballroom dances. Everything started to get blended. But they were really, really respecting the structure of the music mostly the rhythm section. Yeah. While in other areas around the world, they just, maybe they didn't know, they didn't understand the timing. Maybe they got to see uh, maybe a, a video in a, in a tape of people dancing and that's how people got to know that the steps were in a certain way, but they were not dancing exactly on the beat. Even in, in same New York, people used to dance different beats. You can dance on one, you can dance on the, on the second beat. So timing is one thing that's completely relevant. When you talk about the style, you're talking about a, a particular way how a particular person is dancing in this particular city. 
like the Cuban style. They dance the Cuban way. You, you have they have a particular way of to move the body and a particular way to to emphasize certain steps. While in New York, that's exactly what you call New York style since starting from 1950s and evolving eventually because because from the 1950s there was a particular uh, era which is called the Golden Mambo era or the Palladium era which was eventually a, a very popular ballroom where in this place, basically, the mambo dancing evolved. It got blended with other styles and it got really, really rich. And, and of course, they, were used to, they used to dance a lot with the rhythm section. And the same happened in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you have uh, what is called the Puerto Rican style and they call it like dancing on the clave. And it's just simply, they, they make an interpretation of the clave not exactly at the sound of the clave with the footwork, but they make an interpretation of the two accents of, of, of the clave and where the guy moves to the front. It's very similar to New York style. New York style has been changing with the timing. And one of the reasons why it also evolved was that thanks to one of the, the masters, he's still alive and still teaching, Mr. Abeltor, uh, sorry, uh, Mr. Eddie Torres, the Mambo King, yeah. So he's the one who who structurized the first one to put choreographical timing from one to eight and how to accordingly do the steps to the rhythm section, how to listen to the music properly. So he was the first one. And after that, many people start to copy different um, methods and evolve their own methods. And in LA, they dance basically the same way back and forward but they do it on the on the downbeat, on the first beat. They do it with a melody. So you dance either with a melody or you dance with a rhythm. So in LA, when you call LA style, basically the LA style is a little more flamboyant, a little bit more elastic, and it's very showcase. Yeah. And it's yeah. very sharp, while basically Mambo is a little bit more round, and even Cuban style even rounder. And now let's say like, the way people dance New York style is evolving a lot. It do, they don't dance on the line anymore. The New York style has been being more round. It's much more circular in a way. And it has less tension. And it has the same flow as since the 1980s. But uh, it's, it's more round. And, and there's still the timing is basically people call it on two. But uh, when you dance New York style called and nightclub style you count one two three five six seven while there is another way of counting on two which is two three four six seven eight and that's those are just simply timings uh -huh. now one thing that is important to to emphasize is that you can dance new york style on one because you can do exactly the same movements yeah. you can do the same the same it's the style of how you move you can do it on one oh, and the yeah. same way you see many people dancing LA style on two. They do the same sharp movements, the same kind of flamboyant, elastic tension, but um, they're doing it on, on, on two. So that's what started to happen in the mid-2005, where people start to blend the styles yeah. and start to have a lot of confusion because people think that just because you dance on two, you're dancing mambo. No, mambo is something else. Yeah. Mambo, of course, you do it in contratiempo, but mambo is a particular style, especially if you re if you recall like New York style mambo. That's something else. 
Then you have the Cuban mambo. And Cuban mambo is something completely different as well. So there's a lot of misconception, right? So, so what, what I learned from there is that on one, on two, that's the timing. Correct. The style is different. And then when it comes again to on one, on two, you choose whether you dance to the melody or the rhythm. Correct. And which, in your opinion, is easier for beginners or easier to, to actually learn? Is it to the rhythm or to the melody? That, that's the thing. It's like, depending depend on your background, but since we are little kids, you know, we are used to listen to lullabies. Na, 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 down, downbeat. So it's kind of, we're driven to listen downbeat. That's basically how we are, since little kids, understanding how to do the steps or how to listen to music. So I don't think there is uh, one one way that is easier than the other. It's just simply different methodology. But the one that has been used, being used easily over the over the years is um, dancing with the melody. Yeah. So that's why it's really easy to teach on one. Yeah. Because you don't have to really break down so much about listening to the rhythm. Just listen to to the to the to the melody. Um, and that's the thing with, with the dancing on two or teaching how to dance on two. I mean, it could be easier if people knew how to break down things yeah. because it's not so hard, especially for a new beginner. You're a blank slate. It doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. You, will, you will learn no matter what because yeah. everything is new, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's just the type of methodology you use. Now, if you dance already one particular timing, if you're dancing on, on, on one, let's say, and you want to dance on two, you don't want to get confused. The problem is mean people are using the same method as you teach on one to teach on two. Yeah. And you're only going to confuse people. If you really want to make a smooth trans- transition, stop counting. Listen to the drums. Once you understand how to unlock your ear and recognize the drum, boom, you got it. Okay. No, that's a, that's a good tip because... Personally, I'm struggling to move from one to on two, and, yes. and it's very, very, uh, uh, it's very evident that on two for most of the people is more difficult to learn. So that's why this question. And uh, tell me more about the class. How what people should expect? Uh, sorry, the workshop. How people what people should expect coming on Sunday and meet you on the on the dance floor. Well, um, I will definitely try to break the box. We're going to be thinking out of the box and and stop, I mean, break out the lines because yeah. everything is so static. When I'm dancing on the on the dance floor, you will never see me in one single spot. You will see me here and then I'm there and then I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm hovering around the dance floor. Yeah. I get off the box. That's the thing. I want to break the line. The line is... It's okay, but it's a little bit um, outdated, I would say. Okay. Things have been changing already over the past 10, 15 years. It's been changing a lot. The technique has become much more refined, a little more organic. Yeah. And that's one of the things that are so mostly is concepts. Once you got the right concept, you don't need to stop doing things. You just need to readapt. It's like, why do you change a new phone? Mm-hmm. I mean, the old phone you had still works, but... You want new features that are, are going to make your life easier, right? Yeah. And so on the, the concepts I want to break down about uh, mostly is technique, right? Okay. Without technique, you cannot evolve. You need to always pay attention to technique. You need to update. 
technique, right? Yeah. And and who should come to the class? Is it geared towards all levels or are you expecting a specific level, intermediate, uh, advanced? Well, I will say if you have already been social dancing and you feel that, okay, maybe I, I feel like I'm, I'm a kind of monotone, I think that's going to help you. Okay. So even if you dance on one, because at the end of the day, people must understand that there is no such a thing as on one music or on two music. Yeah. The yeah. music will play the same since 1940s to 2023. It's the same formula. So like it or not, you eventually will always dance to the same structure of the music. And understanding the structure of the music is going to benefit you no matter what style you dance. Look, I, I can't actually stop this conversation. And the more I hear what you're saying, the more I learn. And I'm sure coming to your class, I will learn a lot. But you're not based in London. So if I would like, or any of our audience would like to keep in touch with you, what they should do. You're based in Oslo, right? <laughs> so they okay, have well, weekly classes, they have online classes. What do you do, Alexis? Okay, so that's the thing, right? Um, throughout the pandemic, I think not just me, but many not just dances, but any kind of, you know, social interaction kind of project that people does. Uh, everything went into online platforms, like the way we are actually having interaction, you and me right now. So my school in Norway, uh, I, I, I merged my school because before it's just simply Alexis style. Um, my wife, she's a tap dancer. And she's yeah. also a, a mambo, mambo performer, and she's teaching with me as well. So we combine two schools together. And this is the, her tap school, which her legacy comes for over 20 years. And my my school, which just been over all, all my life doing it, just put them together now, and we named them Acoustica. So the school is called Acoustica Oslo. And we focus basically, my specialty is mambo and her specialty is tap dance so she has her tap classes and i have my mambo classes every week and as i said throughout the pandemic things went online so i start to do things online and after i open reopened my school after the pandemic and i i kept with the opportunity for my students around the world to to attend uh, the workshop uh, live so i so set up the camera you can actually you can check my website it's called um acoustica.com it's nice. a with a little dash acoustica.com and there's the whole program i have and of course the opportunity to attend some of my classes online you can do it live as well so and of course i mean i try to travel around i will be now with you guys uh, on on Sunday for the workshop, and I travel here and there. After the pandemic, I kind of slowed down on the traveling. Now I restarted again traveling back again. So yes, but as for now, uh, you can find me in my school Acoustica here in Oslo online. If you if wanna experiment and and try something different, Alexis, yes. um, I'm I'm very glad that we met. I'm, I'm very happy with this interview. Can't wait actually to meet you Sunday and dance with you. And uh, and thank you very much for this. A pleasure, really. It has been really, really nice to, to talk to you. Likewise, uh, definitely we're going to meet each other in person very, very soon, I, I, I believe. So thanks for the opportunity, really, to, 
to share with, with you and for with the pe people uh, watching the podcast and listen to us um, this crazy journey. Sometimes I don't realize until somebody asks me and then I start to look back like, okay, it's been a while and been here doing doing things here and there. So it's uh, interesting also to see also from the other point of view. So thanks for the opportunity to, to uh, make me remember good good memories. <laughs> Thank you, Alexis. See ya. Yes, take care. Eh? Keep in touch. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you find this episode entertaining, useful, and inspiring. If so, tune in next week for more. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Spotify, and share it with your friends and family. Until then, keep practicing, keep smiling, and keep spreading the joy of social dancing wherever you go. You know what? Let's meet on the dance floor. Adios, amigos! <laughs>